Welcome to New Hope and the teaching ministry of Pastor Randy Rainwater. There was a time when I actually harmed Samaritans. There was a time that I actually was on the other side of this equation and I was the robber. But here's the thing, you don't have to stay a robber, amen? You can change your role in this story. Today, Pastor Randy is teaching from the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a story that leaves none of us neutral, but all of us get to choose who we are in this passage. Turn in your Bible now to Luke chapter 10. Pastor Randy comes after the reading of God's Word. Can everybody uh, stay standing and open their Bibles? To Luke 30, no, Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was go- a priest was gone down that road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side so likewise a levite levite was when he came to the place and saw him passed by the other side but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to he was, and he saw him, and he, and he had compassion. He went to him and bound him, and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he, and the next day he took out two denarii which is basically like a day's wage, and gave them to an e- the innkeeper saying to take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Mm-hmm. You guys did a great job, but you, didn't, you did not introduce yourselves. That was the first, that's the only thing you did wrong. I'm Alex. And I'm Judah. All right, thank you guys. Alex and Judah, well, why don't you guys, everybody shake hands, wave at each other, whatever you feel comfortable doing. So I hope you got your Bibles open now and your hearts. Luke chapter 10. We're going to talk about this story. It's it's a story in, in which we have these different characters, and, and I don't know if these two characters are in here or not, but George and Kathy Turley, are you in this service? Where are they at? Stand up. Where are they at? Stand up. 50 years of marriage. Woo! Some of y'all don't know this, but Steve Austin ain't got nothing on George Turley, and we are so grateful and so thankful and, uh, and it's just such a blessing. Um, you guys are a blessing. Uh, George, George sends me articles all the time, not because he thinks I'm doing a bad job, 
but to coach me. And he does it in love, and I, and I love it, and, 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 and is engaged in discipling men. And, and Kathy, I, I don't know, I think you're on staff, and we just don't pay you. I think that's pretty much it. She's here. Every time I walk in the building, she's here. And we're just so thankful, and I love that. Um, and we just love them so much. This, this is a story, this story of the Good Samaritan, is a story that has all these different characters, and it's, it's a narrative in which you have these varying pieces playing off of each other, and essentially there's no neutral character in this story. I, I wanna tell you a story in that some of you are gonna be deeply offended by this story that I tell, and some of you guys are gonna go, yes. Here's the story. First day of junior high school. We had junior high, seventh, eighth, ninth grade. And the any guys go to a junior high, seventh, eighth, ninth grade? Okay, yeah, not it wasn't it wasn't middle school, sixth, seventh, eighth. And I actually think seventh, eighth, ninth makes a lot more sense because essentially until you have your driver's license, you're not in high school. I mean, you're really not. And 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 sixth graders and eighth graders are so different from each other. They're just they're just sixth graders still are our kids and and eighth graders are like little adults, at least they think they are. And so, so but we were seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. We had kids from three different schools, uh, Hattie Warner Elementary, Nicholasville Elementary, and Wilmore Elementary, and we all get into the same middle school, junior high. First day of junior high, I got PE class, pretty excited about that. We had PE three days a week, health two days a week, and then it would switch, and you guys remember back, back in the day, it would, you know, you'd have three and two. So, so I had PE three days a week, which was like, this is, this is the best quarter, you know, in the, in the whole year. So, so I'm, I'm ready to go. I go into school. I go into class. I got my, my Jessamine County red shorts and t-shirt on. I had my uniform. I was so excited. We did our calisthenics and, and then like, you know, Mr. Cavell taught us something about, about playing dodgeball and how to accurately play dodgeball and all the rules of dodgeball. And I'm like, man, this, I'm gonna like junior high school. This is gonna be great. And you know, I get a uniform and dodgeball. I'm loving this. He goes, at the end, he goes, you got about 10 minutes, you guys can, can play basketball. So there's a couple basketball carts out there and everybody's just playing ball and having a good time. Well, we had three kids from three different schools. Well, you know, with that many boys together, somebody's gotta stake a claim. I mean, this is what boys do. And so, so these two boys squared off at, at the free throw line down the far end away from the PE offices and got in a fight. Well, what do boys do when boys get in a fight? They get around, they stand around and watch. So we're watching this fight. And, you know, we didn't have cell phones or anything like that. I mean, thank goodness. But, but uh, I, I, was, I was driving down the road, this was about five years ago, and there was these kids fighting at Grace Snellville. And I pulled up and I said, put those phones away. Because listen, these two boys, that's the worst jab I've ever seen in my whole life. And this is going to be perpetuated. Like, this is not how you throw a jab, all right? And, and these boys are like, anyway, but that's a different story. So, so I, Mr. Cavell, I don't see Mr. Cavell. And I'm like wondering, where's Mr. Cavell? Is anybody going to break this up? Does this, you know, what happens in junior high? Do you just finish this? I mean, does this go till somebody's down? I mean, what happens? Well, all, I'm standing there and I'm trying to pick out who to cheer for, you know, in the fight. And all of a sudden, the guy on the right of me goes to the ground. The guy to the left of me goes to the ground. So I turn around and look. Here's Mr. Cavell. 
Mr. Cavell had dragged out the third basketball cart. Mr. Cavell was, Mr. Cavell was supposed to play on the Harlem Globetrotters. I have, that man could shoot from a half court and like never miss. I never saw him miss a free throw. He would stand and make 100 free throws in a row. And Mr. Cavell was in a car accident and he had a limp so he couldn't play on the Globetrotters, but he could shoot and where he threw a ball, it went. And Mr. Cavell had dragged that ball cart out to half court and he's got these basketballs and he's just winging these basketballs at our heads. So this kid goes down and this kid goes down and I turn around, I turn around and he's aiming at me and he goes, boys, bleachers. We all ran to the bleachers except the two boys fighting. They're still fighting. He takes out the one that I was cheering for. Do you know what? There never was ever again in our junior high PE class, a fight. Never again, because you know what? We didn't know how to throw a jab, but Mr. Cavell knew how to throw a basketball. And we didn't always hit what we aimed at, but he did. You, listen, I went home that day and told that story, and my mother said, I'm gonna call the principal. You could have been hurt. My dad said, serves him right. Nobody has a neutral position about that story. Some people are deeply offended, and they're like, you know, teachers shouldn't do that, and Some of the teachers in the room are like, can I sign up at Jessamine County? (laughs) Sorry, rules are different now. This story is that kind of story. This this story does not have a neutral character. Verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. When generally remember, when they're teaching, they're seated, except when they're reading scripture. But if you got a big point to say, you stand up. The lawyer stands up. He's challenging Jesus, which is never a good idea on a text that he inspired. A lawyer, and this would be a a religious lawyer. This is a this is someone who was was skilled and knew the text, and his job was to help. Pharisees apply the text. A lawyer stood up to put him to the test. It doesn't say and put him to the test. It says to put him to the test. This was his goal. That's not how it worked out for him. I was in, I was in the grocery store the other day and, and I ran into somebody. You know, there's a, there's a cult not far from here and they got some really weird theology and, and they, they're in the grocery store a lot. And, and, I, and this, this guy's walking along, and he, like, smiled at me. And I'm like, oh, this is someone that goes to New Hope, and I don't know who they are. So I'm going to smile back and act like I know them, all right? Because that's what you do when you pastor a church. And, and you, and you kind of, like, have, like, a half smile and go, hey, how you doing, man? It's good to see you. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, where are the pancakes? And I said, oh, they're in aisle six. He goes, wow, you know a lot about grocery stores. I said, yeah, well, you know, I used to work at a grocery store. I said, I think I've told that story in church before. And, and then he goes, he goes, by the way, did you know that God is not only father, but also mother? And I said, listen, brother, this is not going to go the way you want it to go. And we can stand here in the aisle and have this conversation if you want to. Or I can just say, bless you. I'm going to pray for you. But, but listen, it's the blood of Jesus, nothing else. It is not your works, and it don't matter how many people you get, how many people you can mark off on your checklist, it is the blood of Jesus. It is not our accomplishments that put us in right relationship with him. 
So, so however you want to do this is fine with me. I got about three minutes though, and I got to get this dog food back to the house or I'm going to be in trouble. So he goes, okay, have a good day. There, we, this is a lawyer that's kind of doing that. This is someone who's, who's trying to trap you. And if you've ever wound up being in one of these traps, somebody knocks on your door and they're skilled at creating traps. And you go, man, I, I know Jesus and I know the Bible, but man, they trapped me. They, they threw this stuff at me. I didn't know how to answer. It, the, that's what this person's trying to do to Jesus. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, now watch this. What Jesus does, Jesus turns around on the lawyer and has the lawyer do the very thing the lawyer is supposed to be doing. What is written in the law? But then he says the second question. What's the second question there? How do you read it? It's not what's written. What's written is really plain. There's a lot of things in Scripture today. It's not really confusing what it says. The question is not what's written. It's how do you read it? That's the question. There's been, there's a whole bunch of things that we think we wrestle with in Scripture, and we're trying to figure out what it means, and the question isn't what's written. It's how do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is called the Shema. You, you can find the, these two scriptures in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Love God and love people. It is, it is not a complicated thing. But he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? My daughter, the attorney, will tell you, if you're an attorney, you never ask a question you don't know the answer to. You always know the answer. Isn't that right, Bill? You always know the answer to the question before you ask it. If you don't know the question, you don't wanna ask the question. If you don't know the answer, who is my neighbor? That word justify means to render, to render as righteous, to, to, to make it right. And that word neighbor, it's a real complicated word. It means neighbor. It means the one who is near me. Who is your neighbor? Who, who, who's your neighbor, Peter, right now? You, you better get her name. You can't just go these folks. You, all right. Okay, Sylvie, that's your neighbor. Who, who's near you? That, that's, that's, that's the answer to the question. He, knew, he was answering, he knew, that, he knew that's what the word meant. But he wanted to justify himself. So Jesus goes and takes this story, this narrative, and he turns this narrative in a way, watch what he does here. He turns this narrative in a way that, that completely puts this man off of his footing. You ever have anybody do that? One little question. One little question. Watch this. Jesus replied. A man was going, and if you're a Bible underliner, watch, watch how much of, how many words here, how many different words here are used for movement, because movement becomes this huge thing in here. 
And he's not just trying to talk about the moving that's happening in the story. He's trying to move this man. Watch, watch how many times you see movement here. A man was going from Jerusalem, down from Jerusalem to Jericho. I've got a little typography chart here to show you because there's a typography that goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. You go down about 3,200 feet from Jerusalem to Jericho. You're going down the whole time. I think we've got some pictures of that that spring had loaded and, and some pictures of this area, this region, because there's all, all around this region, there's the, there's the typography. You're, you're going down. Jericho winds up being below sea level significantly. And then the area has all kinds of places where you can go and hide. There's, there's caves and crevices. They, they call this literally the, the bloody road because this, this route was such a dangerous place to go. He, he's literally going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell, again, a word of action here, he fell among robbers. He, he winds up being in this place. So we have a character, a man. He's the only one who really doesn't have any description, this man. We don't know if he's Jewish or, or Samaritan. We don't know what this man is. But, but it would be safe to assume he was Jewish, and you'll see that in the way the text reads. From Jerusalem to Jericho, he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed. They left him, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, by chance, wink, wink. It just so happened. It, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. There's lots of good reasons for a priest to pass by someone who looks half dead. He could become ceremonial, ceremonially defiled if he was going the other direction, if he was going from Jericho to Jerusalem, but he's not. He's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's got no good reason to pass by. A priest, in all likelihood, would have an entourage with him. He wouldn't be alone. He, he wouldn't be vulnerable. It, it, you, you know that sometimes what will happen in a situation like this is they'll, they'll harm someone so that the, I mean, they, you know this in the military, if you can wound someone, you take more people than if you kill someone. Because if you wound someone, people have to care for that wounded person. So to wound someone is actually an advantage on the battlefield. They could go over and start caring for him and the robbers come out and use him as a trap. But for this priest, that's not really the issue. No, this is a totally different issue. This priest doesn't want to be troubled by him. So he goes by, he passes by. So likewise, a Levite, essentially a social worker, that's essentially what a Levite would have been. They, they, were, they received their, their wealth, their money, their pay from the people. They, there was a tax, that 10% tax, and, and they, they were there to make things better for everyone. Some of them were priests, and some of them were essentially social workers he probably would have been by himself. And when, and when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. That, that's, the, that's, the care, that's the question I wouldn't have asked. That's the first thing. And now we're in this section, the hero I wouldn't have chosen because we're gonna get to see a hero. And this is not the hero that you wanna choose if you are a Jewish teacher of the law but a Samaritan. 
The very mention of that word to a Jewish teacher of the law is going to evoke emotion because the Samaritans, when the Romans came, the Samaritans were Jews that intermarried with the Romans. That they were hated more than the Romans because they were complicit. They had become a part of this and they had developed their own sense of religion. The, the Samaritans were, were the most hated people to, that you could be to a lawyer. If you were a Trump voter, this is a Biden voter. If you were a Biden voter, this is a Trump voter with a flag in the yard and a sticker on the car. It's easy today to find our division, isn't it? We, we put frames on our social media posts. This was a Samaritan. And as he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. It's what he would have had. He wouldn't have had triple antibiotic ointment. Wouldn't have had a Johnson and Johnson first aid kit tucked onto his horse there or his donkey. He would have had oil and wine. And he took what he had and he bound up his wounds and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denaria. And as Alex said, which is pretty impressive, by the way, it's like a day's wage, two days wages and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. He goes out of his way, he finds an inn, he spends the night there. He says, take care of him, I'm coming back. It wasn't a threat, you better do this right, I'm coming back. Take care of him, I'm coming back. I'm gonna make sure he's okay. If it takes more money, I'll bring more money. This is the hero in the story that no one would have chosen. Because, you see, if, if this story read, a, a Samaritan was wounded and a priest came by. Well, the priest has got a reason to not care for him. And the Levite has a reason not to care for him. But if the common everyday Jewish guy walks by and sees a Samaritan and he comes over and cares for him, then, then he's the hero of the story because he's, he's going and showing compassion on someone that he shouldn't have had to have done that to. But no, that's not what Jesus does. No, Jesus takes, again, the Trump voter if you're a Biden voter or the Biden voter if you're a Trump voter Insert whatever you want to do here. He takes and, and says, no, that's the one who was wounded and this person came to them. This person came and put themselves in their life and, was, and they, they were inconvenienced. This is the person who mocks you on social media. This is the person who said things about you behind your back. This is the person who left you abandoned. This is the person who harmed you. This is the person who took your spot on the team. Whatever it is, put that person in this place. And that's the person who comes and steps into that place. And that word compassion, it's, 
It's a strong word. It literally means I'm so moved that I'm nauseous. You ever had compassion like that? You ever watch something and it just moves you? I, I, was, I was here on Tuesday and, and my friend Kathy Henry came over. She does funerals and weddings here and she cares for the kids on Tuesday, the staff kids on Tuesday while we're doing meetings. And, and she came and she said, how are the pastors? And I said, you know, I, I talked to them this morning. They're, they're okay. She texted me again that night. I'm just worried about the pastors in Ukraine. How are the pastors in Ukraine? And, and she keeps texting me and asking me. There's a compassion there that's moved. It isn't just, a, it isn't just small. If you got to come to the marriage conference when Brad and Amy was here, Brad's best friend was, was Danny Dietz, who was in that film Lone Survivor. They, were, they had spent 3,000 hours under the water together. In, in dive training. And when, when Danny was killed, Brad and Amy were there. Brad told him, told Danny's wife that he had been killed. And he said that they held her hair as she was just so violently sick after the news of that grief. You ever been that way? You ever had that kind of compassion? that it literally hurts in your bowels. That's what the word means. It, it, it hurts in my bowels. It hurts me here. It, 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 it moves deeply. And, and Jesus often is moved deeply. Matthew 9, 36, he saw the crowds. He had compassion on them. He was moved so deeply he was nauseous because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Luke 7, there's a woman who has a child that's died and Jesus comes up and she's weeping. And even though Jesus knows that he's gonna bring this child back to life, he is so moved by the pain that, that, that she's in. It says he has compassion. Luke 15, 20, I'm gonna tell the story on Easter. It's the story of the prodigal son. Such an amazing story. And it says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. It's the way God sees us as sinners. He felt compassion. He, he's, he's moved to a point of, of nausea. If you are watching this story, it would seem like he chose the wrong hero. And then Jesus says in verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. He said, look at this. He can't say the word Samaritan, but he is on the way towards truth. The one who showed him mercy. Remember all those words about movement? Look at what Jesus says to him. You go and do likewise. Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you're not able to forgive yet. Maybe you're not able to, to make right the wrongs in people's lives that, that you have issues with, problems with. Maybe you're not there yet, but you're on that journey. You're on that road. You're in that path. This is the truth that I would not have wanted to receive. We, we are characters in a narrative, characters in a great story. 
that's being written by God and we're a part of that story. And I think we get to choose the character we are. Sometimes you're the one who was robbed and you don't really get to have much say in that. But amongst these three people, we get to have a say. I have been watching the news this week and there's two things that have been very dominant in my prayer life. One is Ukraine. The other is our teachers. These these people who get up early in the morning, go to school, if they're coaches, they get there before 6 a.m. They're there early. They're, They're teaching our kids often and, and administrators as well, often not backed up by parents, often not backed up at the highest levels. And I'm not gonna say much else there. But I think sometimes they feel like they're characters in a story. They don't really get to have much say in what's happening. But I think we always do. We can choose the character that we are in this story. It may, maybe we don't get to choose the outcome of it. We can choose if we're that priest or we're that Levite or we're that Samaritan, that one who goes outside their comfort level, the one who doesn't just forgive, but the one who chooses to step outside of that which is comfortable and make things right. And you say, but you see, one, there was a time when I actually harmed Samaritans. There was a time that I actually was on the other side of this equation and I was the robber. But here's the thing, you don't have to stay a robber, Amen. You can change your role in this story. 1 John 4, 18 to 21, flip over there. I'm gonna tell a story and I'm done. We're gonna worship some more. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and how to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. Here we go. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I, um, I watch what's happened in the church capital C, often perpetuated by people who do the job that I do. I read the news this week. Another pastor, it seemed like, had betrayed the the trust and the confidence of people and, and been an agent of harm. I think we get to choose the character that we are in this story. When Brad was here at the men's gathering, I was talking to him about Good Samaritan, and he goes, I got this, I got this letter, and, and, and he was telling me about it, and I said, man, I, I'd love to read that. I said, 
where did that come from? And he goes, Ann Voskamp. And I'm like, you, the most highly decorated active Navy SEAL, read Ann Voskamp. I, I think I'd lose my man card if I read Ann Voskamp. You just have to know who she is. She's like a very famous uh, women's Christian writer. But Brad read this letter in the men's gathering, and I wanna read part of it for you guys now. It's about what happened in Steubenville, Ohio. Two football players, among other people in the school that weren't athletes, took this young lady down a path of getting her very intoxicated. And the worst happened plus. And then administration, and I, and I, and I wanted to say this before I go down this journey. Um, there's a lot of coaches in this room, and I'm so thankful that I know I'm not talking about any of you. Because I know you wouldn't stand for this. But the worst happened, plus, and there's kids in the room, so I'm not gonna get into the details, and I've edited this some. We're gonna send it out in the email later today. But Ann Voskamp wrote this because administration all as high up in the school system as you could imagine, covered this up and finally, finally some things changed. And Ann Voskamp wrote this to her son. I think we choose the character and the story that we are. Dear son, when you're the mother of four sons, Steubenville is about us. Steubenville is about having a conversation with sons about hard things and asking you to do holy things because a Steubenville doesn't begin with football. It doesn't begin with alcohol. It doesn't begin with unsupervised jocks with inflated egos and shriveled morals. It begins with one woman bringing home a man-child in her arms, one mama unwrapping that blanket and what it means to raise up a man. It begins with one mama looking into her son's eyes for the next 18 years and showing him what it means to be a woman. I brought you home when I was 21. I cradled you, you crying and me crying and the essence of a woman poured out of herself to keep you alive. It was the roots of a woman that nourished you. It was a woman who gave you life, who was the grace of God that kept you alive. I held you when fever burned your forehead. I stroked back to your hair when your stomach churned, and I cleaned up both of us when you vomited all over everything. I opened books for you and stoked your mind and unpacked a world before you, and I laid down me to make more of you, and it wasn't a sacrifice, but the unexpected grace of motherhood. And today there's a mother in Steubenville who will be shattered that her teen sons are behind bars now. How in the world did that happen? We're getting a lot wrong. Like that night when I was 19 and I saw in my rearview mirror how a 20-something man reached over towards a terrified 14-year-old sleeping girl, how he shrugged his shoulders when we confronted him like he was brushing away an annoying fly, how there were all these shy and ashamed girls who were violated and robbed. I wanna tell you, son, we were church kids. There was no alcohol, no parties, no football teams. Just young men who opened their Bibles but didn't value the worth of a God-fashioned woman made for glory. Young men who sang worship songs and yet ripped the dignity of a sacred heart, being. Young men who said women were the weaker vessel. So we went to the elders, a handful of us girls, with one teenage boy who knew what he saw and wasn't afraid. We went to the elders and we sat there, our hands literally shaking, our mouths impossibly dry, and we tried to find words for what 
should never have to be said. My cheeks and my throat burned, and I've never told anyone what happened next. But we were looked in the eye, son, and what we were told, those words, those words that tried to shatter God. Boys will be boys. Son, when the prevailing thinking is boys will be boys, girls will be garbage. And that is never the heart of God. God chose to make his entry point in the world through the holy space of a woman, to enfold himself inside of a woman, to drink of a woman, to be held and nourished and cared for by a woman. That's the jolting truth of how God loves his daughters with his honor. That Christ never beat down a woman with harsh words or lusting eyes or sneering innuendos, but he stepped in and stopped a broken woman from the abuse of angry men. Christ came to the defense of a hurting woman and the son of man stood between her ache and her attackers and he lifted the weight of shame from her. That's how God loves his daughters. That Christ didn't degrade women in his talk. He made women heroes in his stories. That's how God loves his daughters with his words. That's how Christ didn't demonize women. He accepted the presence of a woman reviled by the self-righteous. He sat with the scandalous woman that the righteous regarded as damaged good. That's how God loves his daughters with grace. And that when Christ stepped out of that black tomb, he didn't choose to first manifest himself to prestigious officials, religious leaders, or even the 12. But instead, he revealed himself first to the woman. He entrusted the veracity of his resurrection to the testimony of women. He offered the privilege of proclaiming Christ as the risen Savior to women, though no court at the time, Roman or Jewish, would accept their testimony. That's how God loves his daughters with his regard. Let Christ shape you, not the magazine covers of Walmart. Real manhood doesn't objectify women. It edifies women. Real manhood means you don't get drunk, and a man can get drunk on a lot more than alcohol. In a culture where it's a tendency to bend, you'll stand. In the situations where there's a tendency to look the other way, you'll look for help. And at the times in the church when there's a tendency to be divisive on the secondary and a unified front of silence on the painful, you'll seek to rightly divide the truth and unify the brokenhearted. Because if you're at peace in Christ, you fight injustice. And son, real manhood means you take responsibility for your body. Real men never pressure but treasure. No one tries to crush a diamond. The culture of boys will be boys means girls will be garbage. And you were made for more than this. Son, your dad and I believe boys will be godly and boys will be honoring and boys will be humble. And that teenage boy from the youth group who saw how girls were hurting and violated in shadows and shame, who stood with the wounded because he believed real men of God are men for the hurting, that brave teenage boy's son, he's now your dad. There's more than a few good men, son. The Good Samaritan story leaves none of us neutral. I believe we get to play the character we choose. We're scripted by God or the world. And we get to choose. One of those leaves us and it leaves us broken. And we can reach every dream we've ever imagined in our life, but there'll be so much less than the dreams of the one who made us for all of eternity, that great narrative eternity. But if we see God 
is the one who not only puts us in the story, but the one he designed for us to be. We become the central character in that story that's not only eternal, it's transformative for everyone else. He changes us from robbers to Samaritans. And he changes us from broken to beloved. And I think we get to choose. And that's the story of the Good Samaritan. And whether you were the person in this story that was beaten and broken, or you were the robber, or the priest or the Levite that passed by, or the Samaritan that came to the aid, here's the amazing part of the story we get to choose. And we can be transformed. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. I am, um, the more I walk with Jesus, the more I would love to go and get the 14 year old Randy and have a long talk with him. But the amazing thing is he can be doing that today in each of our lives. So we're gonna take communion. We're gonna spend some time. If you wanna go to the cross, there'll be people there to pray for you. We're doing confessions on the cross. We're gonna put them up there. And on Good Friday, we're gonna burn those because his blood takes those things. If you wanna come up here and pray, you can. Pray with me. Jesus, you, um, you're the God who calls us from our life of being robbers or being victims to being people who step into the lives of those that are hurting. And the world doesn't always understand it. Social media doesn't understand it. We may even get mocked. I know that specifically really applies to a lot of teachers who feel really beaten down right now. They're working so hard. They're trying so hard to be a difference in the life of our kids. Lord, I pray that you would be that God that encourages us in our lives, that we would, we would choose the character in this narrative that is one who follows after the one who transforms, who redeems. Lord, I, I pray this morning for those in this room that have been robbed. And they would know that the great call of God is that their wounds would be bound up, cared for. The hero of the story is the one who steps outside of their comfort zone and crosses the road into the danger and cares. And Lord, I know there are parents in this room that do that. There are teachers that do that. There are first responders that do that. There are attorneys and doctors and business people that do that. And there are moms who do that every day. This is about what kind of world we're gonna leave for our kids. And what are we going to be as a people? In Jesus' name. Amen. Spend this week giving thanks to the God who changes us from broken to beloved. 
Thanks for listening. I'm Myrna Brown.